Hey listeners, this is William Sterling, and you are listening to the Killer Mediums podcast, where we talk about all your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums of entertainment. Today's topic is Halloween horror. We've got a special episode, and we are joined by guest Jeff C. Carter. We're going to start with a broad discussion about why Halloween is the greatest holiday. Then we're going to deep dive into the movie Hack-A-Lantern, Jeff's book, We Bleed Orange and Black, his anthology, and the book Death by Halloween, a choose-your-own-adventure spooky story. So if you are spoiler-averse, then turn back now. But with all of that said and out of the way, here we go. Let's get spooky. Foreigners tied bells to everybody in the morgue. So if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. Jeff, how the hell are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. I am so excited to talk about this because, A, I am spooky people's. I love Halloween. This is this is the time of year that we thrive. But also, I have been on the other side of the microphone from you, and I know how like wonderful of a professional you are <laughs> with all of this stuff, and also how much fun and how easy you are to talk to. I have been looking forward to this one since we had it scheduled about seven months ago. <laughs> I uh, I often share our interview as as one of the bright spots of my podcast. I think that one was a very special conversation and it was a lot of fun to cut together the different sound bites that we talked about. Yeah, thank you. I had so much fun doing it. I think I told you after the episode or during the episode at some point, that was one of the first podcasts I had done about one of my own works and just the the amount of confidence that you gave me in my own writing was just like irreplaceable. So thank you again for that. Listeners, if you have never listened to the We Bleed Orange and Black podcast, or if you have never had a chance to jock, to jock, to talk <laughs> to Mr. Carter yourself, cannot recommend it enough, but I should get out of the way and give you a second to introduce yourself here. Who are you? What is your niche in the horror community? What is this podcast we've mentioned a couple of times now? Take it away. Sure. Uh, my name is Jesse Carter. I write horror and science fiction. My deepest and most abiding love is for all things Halloween. And I wrote a book first called We Bleed Orange and Black, 31 Fun-Sized Tales for Halloween, and then I followed that up with the We Bleed Orange and Black podcast so that I could continue talking to creators in the horror field. Um, it's a multi-format podcast where sometimes my co-host Ryan and I will just chop up old episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark and Tales from the Crypt. Sometimes we'll present original horror stories with audio design and other times we will uh, interview horror authors and uh, filmmakers, actors, things like that. So it, it's been a really fun way to get to meet people in the community. And, you know, I, I was inspired along the way by your podcast, Killer Minions. Thank you. And I'll, I'll dish it right back. I think what you do with 
We Bleed Orange and Black is so good and fun compared to other podcasts, whereas every other podcast, this one included, I'll throw myself under the bus as the example, <laughs> it, it's they get very formulaic, right? You you have a guest come on, you're talking about a certain theme, you start talking about certain books or certain movies or whatever the slant of the podcast is. And even when you're talking about stuff that's really fun and really fascinating, like you, you find yourself kind of going over the same ground, but having that variableness built into the podcast, it makes it fun to see every time a We Bleed Orange and Black episode drops because it's like, oh, what is it this time? Oh, he's got Ray Knowles on. Holy crap. Let's let's go listen to this. Uh, or, or it's a story episode or it's, you know, it's all this different stuff. And it's it's a really great hook because all of it is done well. Thank you. It is the trick or treat model where you don't know if you're going to get a scary story or an interview. I mean, you know, from the title of each episode, but, you know, I want to keep it fun for myself. And there's just so much to do. Like, sometimes I want to talk about the horror I'm watching instead of the horror I'm reading. Or sometimes it's fun to look at some horror from the 80s and compare it to horror from the 90s. There's so many different ways to approach it, and that's why we have the multi-format podcast. I think fans of horror novels and horror collections are probably our biggest listenership right now, and I don't know if I should just trim away all the non-interview stuff and just dial down on that, or if the show will reach a broader audience and then people will be like, hey, I, I like these uh, these short stories these reviews of tales from the dark side so i'm just gonna stick with it we just had our one-year anniversary congratulations thank you um yeah i i know this is just one person's opinion but i i like the variability of it i keep using that word so incorrectly somebody's gonna call me out on it oh well um variety there's my word i like the variety of it i think it does do a good job of pulling people in from multiple different spheres without getting too into like the behind the scenes stuff i think that was some of my motivation for this podcast was i can hit not just the bookish community but also the people that like the films and stuff and uh, I've seen a couple of people from each of those community kind of like pulling in. So it's, it's been fun. And I say, keep at it. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, at the end of the day, it, it's a love of horror underneath all of it. You know, um, I don't know anyone who reads horror, who doesn't like horror movies or who can appreciate an old episode of Twilight Zone. So I think it's fun to ping pong back and forth. And usually when I'm interviewing someone, I ask about their early influences or what stuff that freaked them out as a kid. And that will usually create this branching sideline of references to old toys and commercials and nightmares and weird experiences they had that that is enriching the sense of who this person is as a horror creative. Anyway, enough about that show. <laughs> Back to your show. No, no, that's great. Cause this is, this is now a really great segue. You, you've thrown like three balls into the air that we can all hit at once here. Um, the, the trick or treater aspect of it, the, how your past builds up and formulates who you've become in this moment. Let's start talking about Halloween because it, this is the Halloween special. You have based a lot of your works and your podcast identity and everything else around not just the horror community, which is kind of a broad thing, as we both know, but around Halloween specifically, which is 
even within the horror community, kind of its own little corner of stuff. So I want to throw it to you with Halloween. What is it that draws you to this holiday so much? What has made it such a core of what you're doing creatively right now? Uh, what is the allure here? Um, I just like the uh, Charlie Brown Great Pumpkin special. Uh, that's it. No, yeah. I kid. Um, so you and I were were batting this around a bit before the show, and I was having a hard time to pick a specific trope, I think is the thing you usually explore on this show. Because to me, Halloween is is so much more than any one trope. And what I settled on was this thesis statement. So this is going to be a bit bookish, but I'm a writer, so bear with me. I love it. Do it. <laughs> so I, I've always loved Halloween, but but through the years, I've learned to love it for different reasons. Halloween is like the triple-faced goddess Hecate. Its three aspects can be identified with the candy corn, the skull, and the falling leaf. The candy corn is the bright aspect. It's kid-friendly stuff. It's sweet as candy. It can be commercialized, and it's often very nostalgic. The skull is the dark aspect. There is fear and mischief and trickery and ghost stories and horror movies. All that dark, gritty stuff we love. It's not quite, you know, getting candy and, um, you know, Disney-fied Pixar, you know, scary movies. Then there's the falling leaf, which is the spiritual aspect, for lack of a better word. That's harvest festivals. It's the change of seasons. It's family traditions. It's ancient traditions. There's communing with our ancestors and with the spirits and a memento mori. You know, as the season turns to winter, we know that we will die. And all of those things are wrapped up in Halloween. And so there's there's no wrong way to celebrate it. And there's no one aspect to love because it just reflects so many aspects of our lives. I love that so much. I get asked a lot why I'm so obsessed with Halloween and spooky things and stuff. And I think that kind of three-pronged approach, like a trident, which we'll get to, <laughs> I think that kind of three-pronged approach does a lot of the heavy lifting for me in trying to explain why this is such a better holiday than, you know, uh, the 4th of July, which is patriotism. Like there, there's one angle to that. Maybe you add in hot dogs as a second angle, but a lot of our other holidays come across as very shallow when compared to Halloween. The only one that I think can hold a candle to it is Christmas. Um, and even then, uh, it's, it's all very processed by, you know, what your approach to that holiday is. Halloween has so much going for it and every single age group has something they can appreciate. Every single type of person has something they can appreciate. Even the people in my life that absolutely hate spooky things. Hi, mom and dad. Even they have stuff that they can appreciate about Halloween. Like my mom gets so excited when the kids come running up to her door to get candy and she gets to see all the costumes. And Do not turn a horror movie on around her, but she can get into that part of it. It's just this, it's very 
all encompassing. It's very accessible to everybody. I just, I love it so much. Let's spin it back to you. So part of what you were talking about was like the history of this, uh, our memories of this holiday. Do you have any Halloweens from your past or Halloween events or Halloween things that are especially memorable that you feel like really cemented your love for the holiday? Any specific stories we can get into here? So oddly enough, when I look back at my childhood Halloweens, when I was of trick-or-treating age, it was a blur, you know, maybe because I had one of those tight latex masks on and couldn't see or breathe. Um, (laughs) But so much of it was a vibe. You know, I grew up in New England and we were lucky enough to be able to go down the streets at night and trick-or-treat from our neighbors and eventually do that with my best friends. And it was always this all-too-brief spark at the beginning of the school year where I was just waiting all year long for Halloween, and then it's over in a couple hours. And, you know, to look back on a few scattered hours here and there, it really loses clarity and and just kind of vanishes into the mist of memory like a vibe, as I'm saying. And then there was the, the fallow years from 13 on, when you stop trick-or-treating, but before you can go to parties. Halloween was kind of a bummer. Like I said, I was in New England and... You know, I wasn't going into the city and, you know, there were no like big haunted houses or anything like that. I remember one night we were excited because we went over a friend's house. We watched SNL and there was like a Halloween-y skit. There was just nothing. There was nothing for us. And then I got to college and started going to Halloween parties and started building my Halloween costumes again. And then it just took off in a whole new way. And I love, you know, special effects makeup and making props and costumes, things like that. And, you know, once I was on my own for Halloween, I could start planning months in advance. Like I usually knew at the end of Halloween what my costume would be for the next year. We're pretty damn close to it. And I might spend a couple months working on my costume and being able to like marinate in that creativity. And the character I wanted to become or the mask I wanted to wear for that night was such a fun way to, you know, swim in that Halloween spirit and and keep it alive for myself. Um, One of my best costumes was probably my most ambitious. And it's this two-story tall sort of carnival style Grim Reaper costume. And, uh, You know, it was like three times as tall as people. And I was going through the uh, West Hollywood Halloween Carnival. And, you know, there's just thousands of people in the street. And I'm just walking down through the middle and like crowds of people are coming up and trying to like find where I am in this giant cloak. (laughs) Or like they're coming up and just taking photos with me. And like they don't even know I'm in there. I'm like uh, looming over police cars. It was just nuts. Uh, very physically challenging, probably the most like workshopping and, and diagramming, you know, I've ever done that went into this. 
it actually had like a flashing light up eyes and like a voice changer. So I could like amplify my voice, but it was so tall that you couldn't see the eyes. You couldn't hear the voice. You know, it was just the, the carnival madness, but that one definitely sticks out. Yeah. With your permission, I already made the, uh, the title card for this episode, but I think I'm going to backtrack now that I've got access to this picture. And I'm like, Grim Reaper, your picture for this thing. So people can see it. Just, just as an aside, I, uh, I had a pretty cool costume like the year or two before where I was this character from an anime and I was all covered in rock and it was like the coolest cosplay I've ever built. And my friends were drunk and they didn't take any photos. <laughs> and I was oh. covered in makeup and costuming and gear. And so I didn't have any photos. And to this day, like, I, I kind of poke around the internet like, oh, did anyone ever post a photo of that? So yeah. sad. Did you go to a convention or anything? Like, uh, No, that was the year I went to uh, the WeHo Halloween Carnival. It was one of several years. Okay, okay. So maybe, maybe somebody at the carnival is just posting it in, in it's, their it's private. Possible. It was like 15 years ago. And actually that night I was frantically rushing through uh, my final touch-ups on the costume and I was working on the glove and I slashed my finger open and I was like, all right, I cut myself, you know, that sucks. And then I saw a spurt of blood, like the spurt of blood that travels across the room. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's not good. (laughs) That's an artery. Um, So I had to go to the emergency room and they were going to salt my finger, but I knew I was going to a Halloween party that night and I wanted to drink. And so I was like, yeah, no anesthetic, just, just sew that shit up. Oh, and, cool. uh, yeah. Worth it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and also not awesome. I'm so sorry that happened to you, but that's awesome. <laughs> you know, it all worked out in the end. I've got a, I've got a little scar in my finger to remind me of a great Halloween. Uh, also all that ends. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's get into a couple of the other aspects of it then. So we've got the, the costume part of it. We've got the youth part of it. We've got the once you're an adult uh, still kind of like finding a different value in that side of things. Um, what about, so, so in my mind, uh, I think that hits candy corn for us. And I think that hits falling leaf. Have we gone skull very much yet? What's, I don't what's think skull? we have. So you're... Uh, hi, Mr. and Mrs. Sterling. Um, your mother may not like the skull as much. There's there's horror movies. There's jumping out and scaring people. There's haunted houses. And, you know, you want to see something gross and gory or be terrified by a ghost story. Um, you want to wear a mask and run around and throw eggs. Like, traditionally... Halloween has been a very frightening time and mischief night used to be, I mean, before it was even mischief night, uh, lads and, and drunken men used to run amok across various countries. And like mischief night used to be called gate night because people would steal the gate from a farm and like throw it on your roof or they'd steal your cow. Um, 
people used to leave corpses out in public and uh, scare people to death with jack-o'-lanterns. Like it really used to be pretty raw and unhinged. And slowly over the years, uh, actually specifically after the Great Depression, when there was one year where there were so many unemployed, disaffected youth around that Halloween was just berserk and caused like power outages to whole towns that they called Black Halloween. The city fathers got together and started having haunted houses and started giving out candy to lure people in and try to tame this wilder Bacchanalian aspect of Halloween and these harvest festivals. And, and honestly, just the old traditions of guising and soulsing and mumming, you know, dancing through the streets, banging on people's doors, demanding that they give you ale and candy and treats or else there was going to be problems. <laughs> like, it's a pretty rowdy time of year. I never knew the history of that. I yeah, heard... it goes deep. That's awesome. Um. Okay, let's let's take this to Death by Halloween now. Because uh, yeah. I think we've got a little bit of a basis here for everything else that we can get into with these pieces. Um, and we can keep referring back to these these spurts of blood and these corpses. <laughs> but with Death by Halloween, uh, let me go ahead and name drop the author here so we give credit where credit's due. Death by Halloween by David Warkenton. Why did you pick... I'm going to try to make sure I phrase this in a way that doesn't sound negative. Why did you pick Death by Halloween, which is a very under the radar, lesser known book? And for that matter, also um, Hack-A-Lantern. Why did you pick kind of these deep cuts instead of... I, I told my neighbors yesterday that we were doing a Halloween episode today. So he was like, oh, so you're talking Michael Myers? I was like, actually, no. Oh, so you're That's talking right. Treat? Actually, no. And he, he went through like all the surface level ones. Why would we go for the deep cuts here? And we can kind of bring use this question to bring us to Death by Halloween a bit. So I went for the deep cuts because right now you can spin your podcast dial if you have one of those really old iPods with the uh, click wheel and, <laughs> and see a trillion podcasts that talk about John Carpenter's Halloween some of them are exclusively just about John Carpenter's Halloween. Um, I love those movies, uh, but I'm not the type of person that watches the same old movies every year to get into the Halloween spirit. You know, I take a multi-pronged uh, <laughs> approach to Halloween and, and I want to discover new stuff because there's so much good stuff out there. Um, and just to bring it back to death by Halloween, I have so many ideas about Halloween and Halloween stories that I was like, you know what? I should write a choose your own adventure set at Halloween. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with this idea. This is going to be the greatest book I'm ever going to write. Oh, I'm so excited. And I was like, mm, I should check to see if someone else has written a <laughs> choose your own adventure book set in Halloween. And I was like, Oh, what's this death by Halloween? So I bought it and I read it and it's amazing. It's like a sh interactive short story collection that is so packed full of ideas 
and it looks at Halloween from every possible angle, like we've been talking about with our thesis statement, that I was like, all right, well, you get so much bang for your buck if you bring this book into the discussion. And so that is why I chose Death by Halloween. Yeah. How'd you like it? I... So it depended on which read-through it was. And I feel like this is going to be the case for everybody and everything with a choose-your-own-adventure book. I'm going to lead with this. It is so well-written. When I saw a choose-your-own-adventure book in our queue, I don't know why I had this impression, but the the first impression I had was, oh, this is just going to be some schlock. Um, This is going to be like some nonsense and... It's so well written um, from from the go, from the first section that like you have to read that one section. Um, we've got atmosphere. We've got the falling leaf vibe like out the wazoo. Um, I have a hard time with things written in second person narrative. Um, mm-hmm. Last episode, Gordon B. White just got into this very well, because a lot of times if if we're reading something like a choose your own adventure book or just anything in second person, it tries to attribute a lot of characteristics to you that just takes me out of it. This was written in a way that I could actually see myself in like, oh, yes, I am the spooky person. Oh, there's a noise down the street. I totally would go investigate that. And it it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it's railroading me so much as it is actually giving me options, which I think is a huge key to this. But anyhow, that ramble aside, um, I read it a couple of different times. The first time I read it, I ended up in the town. I went to investigate a bookstore because it's me. Um, (laughs) Just kind of out of nowhere, I got brained by, I think it was a serial killer. And then the book was just over. I was like, well, damn it. This was like going really well. And then it just suddenly stopped on me. And I was very like disappointed by the first path that I took. Mm -hmm. The second path that I took was so good. I followed, let me make sure I get the details of this right. And I don't, I don't mix up a bunch of the different stories, but I, I followed a Halloween procession to a zoo where I ended up being murdered below the zoo at a subterranean lake by God, question mark. And it was just so ridiculously creative and weird. And every little decision that I made scratched another part of the Halloween itch and then pushed me to a different one. I was thrilled by it. I I read I read probably nine or ten different read-throughs of it. The vast majority of them worked, uh, even though that first one scared me a little bit. Like, oh no, am I just going to randomly die at certain points? And, and the answer is yes, but it'll be <laughs> it will be death by Halloween. <laughs> as as you say, that jumping-off point, like the tutorial uh, in a video game where you can't really skip past it. It is so well-written. It is so poignant and sad. So it steeps you in the Halloween spirit, but it's someone who has lost touch with Halloween. And they're like, I used to love Halloween as a kid, and it's kind of let me down. 
you know, I want danger and I want mystery and excitement. And then he gets a little inkling and he's like, well, instead of handing out candy, what if I just went out into the night and just tried to get into some danger, have some fun, find some mystery. And he's like, what if I have been letting Halloween down? What if I have not answered the call to go out there into the world and see what's really going on when the veil grows thin? And from there, just about every twist and turn you can imagine is possible. Did you do any of the uh, corn maze sequences? No. (laughs) Oh my God, they're so insane. It goes so many places. And you always feel like you are driving the story because you're making these choices. But it never, uh, you know, takes the agency away from you. And even when it's like really horrific and ghastly, there'll be a twist. So did you get captured in the museum? Yes. So you're brought in to this billionaire's torture dungeon But before he starts to mutilate your body and turn you into some kind of living anatomical artwork, he first doses you up with this drug that makes you euphoric. So you've got that contrast. You know, you're not screaming as you die. You are overjoyed as your body is disassembled and remade with your friend. And it's like just teasing out all these little different versions of horror um it's just such an impressive work and and i wish more people knew about this book it there were i feel like in every single one of my read-throughs except for the bookstore which still disappoints me but every single one of my read-throughs there was the there was an easy way out of every story for him and he intentionally turned the screw just one more time for us like you're talking about um, i've i've only found one ending in which you survive and it is the saddest ending oh no um do do we want to do we want to steal this from david do we want to spoil that oh sure it's basically you you refuse the call to adventure and you, you just like go on the internet, you masturbate and you eat nachos and go to sleep. Like it is the saddest, most disappointing ending. Every other ending ends in you getting turned into a vampire or possessed by shadows or being sacrificed to an elder God or meeting the devil or getting framed for murder or being chased through a cornfield and on and on and on and on hundreds of branching realities. And they're all thrilling and unique and fresh. And it's the one where you stay home that is like so sad, but there are a couple ways you can die in the house as well. So it's not easy to get out of the house in the story. Um, yeah, I forgot about that. I, I that was one of my endings too. I I just went back in and I just, yeah. Um, I think that that drives back towards what we've been saying about Halloween though is like so much of this is what you choose to make out of it. And I think I am I am 33 years old. Um, I have only had one Halloween where. I don't even remember what was going on that year. I just wasn't into it and I stayed home and it was just, it it was a miserable, normal night. 
I think it was because Halloween like fell on a Tuesday or something that year. And I had to be up at five in the morning the next day, whatever it was. It was just bad. But every time I've taken that step out the front door and gone to try to do something, this night has magic about it. Good things and, you know, bad things happen on this night. Um, and I think that's so built into the DNA of this thing. Like even the youngest kids, when they're experiencing their first Halloween, it's terrifying to walk up to a neighbor's door, especially when they're skeletons and spiders and what have you. But if you can convince them to go take that step of self exploration, um, the it 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 becomes something. I don't know. I'm overusing this word now, but magical. It is magic because you can change your identity on Halloween. You can become a different character or borrow the bravery or strength of Wonder Woman or Black Panther, or you can be a witch. You can be a vampire. Um, you know, you can be your favorite character from a video game or something like that. And you are going up to adults' houses, which is something you're not allowed to do normally. You're out at night Sometimes, you know, the yard's decorated uh, with scary decorations. Sometimes one of those decorations is going to jump out and try to scare you. You know, when you're very young, it's it's frightening and it's overwhelming. And laced throughout is this reward of candy. And getting to wear this costume that you had to beg your mom for or that she, you know, that maybe your dad built for you. Um, there's there's so much intensity packed into such a short amount of time. And it's, it's on that cusp. It's at the very end of summer at the very beginning of winter. It is a twilight of the year. It's right at the beginning of the school year. There's so many things aligning. And as you get older, you know, Halloween parties and yada, yada, like it's, it's, just the fucking best man <laughs> i lose my train of thought uh, i just i just get excited no that was awesome um it, i the face your fears and get rewarded for it aspect of it is just the best um okay let's take this conversation unless do you have anything else you want to say about death by halloween or should we i, I recommend everyone go out and buy a copy uh it's on kindle it's um it's it's worth it. Ooh, okay. So that is a totally, totally random aside. Have you read it on Kindle? Yes, only okay. on Kindle. Okay, I have the paperback. So I was thinking while I was reading it, how this would work on the Kindle. Is it is it really difficult on the Kindle to flip? Like, go to page one thirty six for this part, and then you just click on Actually, no, it's hyperlinked. So you just hit the the sentence on the back, like hide behind the bin, and it just takes you there. Brilliant. And not only that, it electronically prevents you from backtracking to your previous branch in the conversation. <laughs> I cheated so many times. You know, it's funny. Growing up and reading Choose Your Own Adventure books, I would put my fingers between each fork in the narrative yeah. and i was such a nerd that i took a popsicle stick and a clothespin 
and I taped them together to try to create my own special choose your own adventure multi-pronged uh bookmark system and uh it, it only worked for like three different branches so it, it didn't work but i've always loved interactive fiction creative fiction um and that that sense that anything is possible it, it's so fun love that so yeah if, if you're a cheater like me you've got to spring for the paperback apparently <laughs> but that's that is very intuitive and smart and i appreciate him in this book even more um hack a lantern okay so setting the stage here um if you are listening we're going to do something we've never done before um typically with this podcast uh we kind of approach these these movies and these stories and things with the understanding that either You've seen the thing before, you've read the thing before, or you don't mind spoilers and it's okay. Um, with Hack-A-Lantern, this movie is so insane in like the B-movie, having fun with it version of Martyrs sort of a way. Every way that Martyrs just went down the deep, depressing, dark death spiral Hack-a-lantern goes in a like orange-tinged, jack-o'-lantern-y, uh, trident-poking, satanic panic sort of a way. It's, it's fun. So what we're going to do here, in case you haven't read this, so you can understand anything we're about to say about this, because no, none of that ramble probably just made sense to you. Um, Jeff is going to read through his review slash synopsis of this movie, uh, he shared it with me the other day. I think it does a really good job of A, summarizing the movie for anybody that hasn't seen it, but also B, just emphasizing how ridiculous and weird and fun this thing is. So we're going to treat this a little bit like a short story reading uh, or a chapter reading. Jeff's going to read through his synopsis. We'll all get on the same page about what this thing is, and then we can all react together. You ready? <laughs> ready. <clears throat> Let's hack some O-Lanterns. All right. Hack O-Lantern, rated R, one hour, 27 minutes, released in 1998 from director Jag Mundra. Hack O-Lantern begins appropriately, with lurid red titles floating in black space, accompanied by the creepy pulse of synth music. The sun rises, shining gloriously upon a bucolic farm. A pleasant tune chirps as an old pickup truck putters into view, with a flatbed full of pumpkins. The driver, High Pike, is a chipper old man in a cozy flannel shirt. He arrives at a farmhouse and honks the horn to call out Tommy, his little blonde grandson. Everything distills into a perfect Norman Rockwell moment until Grandpa slips him a bundle with something special. He leaves him with the pumpkin, throws up the devil horns, and then bones out in his truck. This is not yet four minutes into the film, but we've been put on notice. This story just might give you whiplash. Later, Tommy is carving his pumpkin and pelting his sister Vera with pumpkin guts. When he cuts himself, he proclaims that he likes the taste of blood and that Grandpa says it's good for him. Mom is distraught when she finds out Grandpa has been there, and she demands to know if the old man had given anything to her son. But Tommy denies it and hides the special package. That night, Mom begs her husband, Bill, not to confront Grandpa on this, of all nights, Halloween. 
Bill storms out to handle things anyway. He arrives at Grandpa's barn and finds him hanging out with a bunch of rogue cultists. One of them smacks Bill the hammer, and together they dump his body in the car and set it on fire. Grandpa cackles with dark delight. Meanwhile, back in his room, Tommy takes out his special gift, a pentagram medallion. Match cut. 13 years later, Tommy, now played by Gregory Scott Cummins, Max's dad from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, he was on Baywatch twice. He was the devil in a Snoop Dogg video. This guy is great. So Tommy is still swinging his medallion, but now he's all grown up. He's rocking a black sleeveless t-shirt open to the navel. It is once again Halloween, and Grandpa has returned with another honk of the horn. This time, he has a black robe for Tommy, who will undergo a ritual that night to learn his true power. Grandpa throws up the devil horns again, and so does Tommy. And then they press their devil horns together. <laughs> Let's pause for a moment to appreciate these actors. Gregory Scott Cummins has a prime set of crazy eyes, and he does his best to mean mug the camera every chance he gets, but he is fighting for oxygen in each scene with High Pike. High Pike is a character actor unlike any I've ever seen. He plays Grandpa like a southern fried, chain-smoking, frog-throated, slightly femme goth hillbilly. If Tim Curry had an older brother who was prone to falling downstairs, he might be a little something like High Pike. Tommy's mother runs out, begs Grandpa to leave the family alone. Grandpa then reveals two things. First, he's been wearing one of Bill's bones as a necklace for 13 years. Second, he's been forcing her into an incestuous relationship. If the devil horn hand kiss made you uncomfortable, you may wish to avert your eyes from the flashback in which Grandpa smothers his daughter on her wedding night. This implies that Tommy and the others, in fact, are Grandpa's children after all. Uh, we're reintroduced to his sister Vera, who is getting ready for Halloween with her friend Beth, and then to Tommy's brother, Roger, who is now a rookie policeman. Roger has been assigned to patrol the cemeteries after a string of grave robberies, as well as chaperoning the big Halloween party in town. Mom stands outside the door to Tommy's basement apartment and screams at him to change his wicked ways, but he tunes her out with a Walkman and a cassette tape of rock and roll. This begins a full-on music video with Tommy fantasizing that he's the backup guitarist for a leather-clad rock band playing a song about the devil's son. A woman appears in a bolt of electricity. She is dressed in a skimpy outfit and draped in bones, and she shoots green lasers from her eyes that festoon the band's drum kit with shrunken heads, freezes the band members in place, and then makes them vanish one by one. She throws Tommy to the ground and stabs his head off with a pitchfork. So now Roger starts knocking on his door. He asks Tommy if he's ever going to do anything in his life. And in response, Tommy shows him a closet he has converted into a satanic altar with candles, skulls, and a human fetus in a jar. Roger just shakes his head and says, no wonder mom thinks you spend too much time with grandpa. The satanic panic of the 1980s certainly inspired this movie, and it seems that satanic ritual has been completely normalized for this family and the town at large. Tommy goes to get some booze with his girlfriend, who everyone knows has a pentagram tattoo on her butt. Unfortunately, Grandpa's there too to nag Tommy into getting rest for the big night. 
Not long after, the girlfriend is surprised by a robed figure in a strange mask that is equal parts satanic and simian, like a demonic baboon. She believes the masked intruder is Tommy, and she tries to flirt, only to get brutally murdered with a hooked pitchfork. I will henceforth refer to this robed masked figure as the staboon. Vera and her friends are downtown decorating the hall for the big Halloween shindig. Naturally, Grandpa stops by to leer lecherously and try to grope his granddaughter, but her boyfriend, Brian, chases them off. Vera takes Brian home to lose her virginity, and then Tommy busts in and throws him out with a warning. Next time, you're dead. Tommy goes to his room and pulls out a staboon mask and a switchblade. So Brian takes the shortcut home through the cemetery and finds himself being chased by the staboon. He tumbles into an open grave and begs the staboon for a hand up, only to have his head cleft in twain with a shovel. Night falls. Roger begins his patrol of the cemetery. He He's also brought Beth along so they can spend their first date looking for dug up graves. They find nothing but a fresh shallow grave, so they lay down and get it on, oblivious to Brian's half-buried body. Roger then heads to the Halloween party, which features a tasteful full-nude striptease. The movie then grinds to a halt as an amateur comic shoehorns his tight five into a random scene, and he's doing it not on stage that they just established, but he's doing it out in the parking lot, and this like sort of signals a tonal shift from horror to comedy, and it's very strange. Uh, Vera and her friend Beth take the shortcut through the cemetery, and uh, she's like, oh, I had sex with your brother here, and I had sex with your brother there. Uh, they don't notice Brian's body, and then when they see it, they think it's a prank, only to realize that it's a dead body, and she freaks out and blames Tommy. She runs to Grandpa's satanic ritual barn to confront Tommy about murdering her boyfriend. She knows that they're all going to be there for the big satanic Halloween ceremony, and she doesn't seem overly concerned by the robed cultist, the pentagram on the floor, yada yada. Grandpa rebukes her for intruding and orders his minions to tie her up. He gives Tommy a goat-shaped knife, which they gamely try to hold in their hands while making devil horns with their fingers. Grandpa commands him to kill Vera, intoning, The power's in the blood. Tommy raises the knife and cuts her ropes. He shouts, She's my sister! Grandpa is furious. He explains that in the kingdom of hell, the only family that matters are your fellow Satanists and the master. He excommunicates Tommy from the satanic ritual barn. I will note that it's heavily implied that the ritual was supposed to involve human sacrifice, but they didn't have any sacrificial victims. So I don't know if Grandpa knew Vera was going to show up there and he's playing the long con. Very strange. Anyway, back at this freaky Halloween party downtown, the uh, belly dancer is undulating with a large snake. Vera and Beth arrive to get their cop brother, Roger, but the staboon is already there. So Roger learns about the murders, hops on his motorcycle, takes off. The staboon is weaving through the crowd, knifes a random woman in the ladies' bathroom, and 
if there's a through line to the murders in the story, it's that anyone that tries to have sex with anyone in Tommy's family winds up dead. So this could be a clue for later on. Roger and the rest of the police find the satanic ritual barn, but no evidence of satanic activity. Meanwhile, the staboon is at the party. He strangles Beth. Vera runs out, and she thinks it's Tommy, but then the staboon removes its mask. It's Grandpa, and he tells her that tonight she belongs to Satan. Tommy arrives wearing his own staboon mask and wielding a pitchfork. So Grandpa puts his staboon mask on, grabs a machete from the partygoer, and the two start swashbuckling their way through the party. Tommy quickly bests the old man and sends him careening to the ground with a pitchfork wound in the stomach. Roger returns and unmasks Grandpa. Grandpa says, the power's in the blood, and then pokes him in the forehead with the devil horns, leaving a flicker of red light. The other staboon tries to flee, and Roger just straight up blasts it in the back with a pistol. The bleeding staboon stumbles into the woods and unmasks. It's not Tommy. It's Tommy's mother. She takes the cemetery shortcut to her husband's grave and collapses. Tommy finds her there and apologizes, telling her that he loves her. She dies, and the now-reformed Tommy, who is raised to be this satanic messiah, makes the sign of the cross. Uh, it seems that all's well that ends well. Unfortunately, the Satanists have reconvened at their satanic ritual barn. They have a new leader now, Tommy's brother, Roger. All right, man, what you think? This movie is so insane. Yeah. Um, what, so before before I get to my reactions, kudos to you for the uh, spot-on grandpa impressions. Excellently done. Um, I mean, I'd have to smoke for 20 more years to really get to that high pike range uh, i also appreciate this is an audio only podcast but every time you got to the devil horns you threw the devil horns up just to make sure <laughs> um, but normally uh, i'd say fuck her brains out if she had any the power's in the blood the power's in the blood <laughs> um what a weird guy so i i tried so hard to understand this movie for the first 20 minutes i was watching it um it has everything you could possibly want in a Halloween movie. It has costumes, it has jack-o'-lanterns and pumpkins, it has Satanists, it has Halloween parties, it has a stand-up comic doing a random five-minute routine. It's all there. <laughs> I finally stopped trying when they got to the music video. <laughs> <laughs> brain off and went okay whatever we're just doing this now and it's so fun when you stop trying to understand it um, it, it is but i invite you to re-watch this movie and things actually start to fall into place what is the song in the random seemingly random music video the song is you're the devil's son so Tommy is probably fathered by Grandpa. Yeah, yeah. And the whole movie is about Grandpa trying to corrupt Tommy. And Tommy's like running around the switchblade and yelling at his family. And he has a fetus in a jar. And like, he's totally psycho. But in the end, family proves stronger than Satanism. He can't bring himself to kill his sister. He 
makes the sign of the cross over his mother. Like he comes to the light and you realize the mother was trying to kill grandpa and finally free their family from his dark grip. But the power's in the blood and it, it falls to Roger, the brother, who we think is the upright cop in the beginning. Twist. He's now the leader of the Satanist cult. God damn, this movie's incredible. Okay, so thinking backwards through it then, the fact that he just guns that guy down with no second thoughts kind of kind of feeds into that too, right? Like, okay, maybe there's something corrupt going on here. I mean, he's he's already been corrupted at that point, and it turns out once that Staboon is unmasked that he killed his mother. That was his probably his mother fleeing the party. He shot her in the back. And then took over as grandpa's replacement in the cult. So as, so as Tommy is getting more and more committed to protecting the family and keeping people safe, we see Roger going down the spiral of corruption instead and actively being the one to kill. Okay. 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 First watch through none of that landed with me. I was still trying to figure out what was going on with the comic scene. <laughs> um, Obviously they had like a variety act where, uh, you know, okay, let's get a stripper up there dancing with a snake. Let's get a rock band. Uh, okay. My cousin has uh five minutes at a comedy. He wants to shoehorn in. Um, it's, Oh, also my, my other cousin wants to direct a music video. Okay, we'll throw it in there. <laughs> Just so amazing. It really is that trick-or-treat model of you. You don't know what you're going to get. Are you going to get a popcorn ball or a, a Snickers or a Chick Bible track? It's all in there in the mix. Uh, standout moments from the movie for you. The first time High Pike and Tommy throw up the horns and then do the little devil kiss, it was like, oh my God, what weird, incestuous, satanic thing am I watching? The music video is amazing. The idea that there's not just one satanic gorilla mask, but several. (laughs) So you never know who's behind the mask at any given point. Um, all the stuff, the satanic ritual barn and like everyone knows where grandpa is on Halloween. It's like, oh, he's in the barn with the cult. Like nobody's at all upset <laughs> that this whole town is, is riddled with Satanism. It's, it's just great. It It's the most twilight zony sort of a thing where like, clearly he's out there killing people. Clearly, all of you are just like right down the road here, like one quick stroll through a graveyard away. We're not concerned about this. Okay, then. <laughs> um, it it feels so surreal on purpose, though. Like the movie, the movie knows that it's doing that, and it knows that it's creating this weird scenario that could never happen in real life. But this is a movie; it doesn't have to reflect real life. Uh, yeah, in, in in the summary, I say it is crazy, cheesy, creepy, gory, schmaltzy, and simply fun. Yeah. It, think... It's just got such a, a shotgun blast of Halloween vibes and slasher movie gore and rock and roll and 
80s sleaze, uh, all drenched in that orange and black palette. And everyone's got pitchforks. Oh, fantastic. So not elevated horror then. Says you. <laughs> um, A24, remake this movie. That would, I would pay so much money to see whatever that turned into. <laughs> Powers in the blood. Um, let's take this and jump into We Bleed Orange and Black then. Um, let's, let's do it. So we, we've hit Death by Halloween, which seemed like it was taking its subject matter very, very seriously. Um, and we've hit Hack a Lantern, which clearly had fun with its subject matter. Um, go ahead and if you could, Introduce our listeners to We Bleed Orange and Black. Tell us a little bit about this collection. Um, but I'll preface it a little bit with, I think this is fun to end on uh, because it does kind of showcase both of those angles. There are some stories in here that play things very, very straight and narrow and they're fucking terrifying. And there are other stories that are just having fun with it. They're they're goofy. They're, they're the candy corn. Um, and I think you wrote both very, very well. Well, thank you. Um, I had originally intended to write a middle grade story about a bunch of kids who are all set to go out trick-or-treating on what might be the last year they go trick-or-treating. And then a freak blizzard blows in, and it's so bad that the town cancels Halloween. And so these kids break the rules, remake their costumes to be winterized and go out anyway. And then it turns into a magical adventure. And the original title of that story was The Year Without a Halloween. And I was working on that as COVID rolled in and it looked like it was going to be a year without a Halloween. Uh, and I was like, I don't want to be out there pushing this book to kids called The Year Without a Halloween. Like, that's just a fucking bummer. So instead, I thought, I'm going to make a love letter to Halloween in all of its multifaceted glory. And I love flash fiction and short stories. I'm going to see if I can write 31 short stories about Halloween. And so that's what I did. And I, I hit it from every angle I could, the nostalgic, the sweet, the, the childlike and the twee, the horrifying historical sci-fi. I just came at it from, from every angle I could. And the end result was We Bleed Orange and Black, 31 fun-sized tales for Halloween. And just so you know, the story has a happy ending. Uh, the follow-up is Cold Spell, The Halloween Curse of Winter Hill, which was the book that's excerpted in the collection. There we go. And we didn't have to say the year without Halloween and put all that negative connotation on it. Cold Spell is perfect. No. Um, uh, something that I thought was awesome about this was at the very front of the collection, 
you are very upfront about some of these kids. Some of these stories are not for kids. Some of them are. Uh, and before, I think it's even before the table of contents, you give readers this list of, if you're reading these to kids, these are the kid-friendly ones. As a parent that is trying to instill a love of Halloween in my little ones right now, that was perfect. Um, I have read Craig a bedtime story from this at this point, um, flipped open to the, uh, I think it's even the first story with the, uh, porch that eats some of the trick-or-treaters. Uh, and it was this perfect little thing. Like there's nothing heinous about the story. I mean, some kids get eaten by a porch that they're trick-or-treating on because they take more than one piece of candy. That's, you know by itself a little bit creepy but there's no like body parts flying anywhere or whatever it was it 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 nailed its target uh my little kid was a little bit scared like oh no it ain't the kid but it was accessible for him and then you follow that up later on with um i don't have this on my list so i don't have the name right in front of me but you follow that up with a story about an executioner and all of the body parts that he's like selling off to this this witch or this black market dealer on the side. And then he gets hacked apart for bodies for body parts also. And it's just the all, all Gallows Eve. That's it. All Gallows Eve. And it's just this awesome whiplash of, yay, Craig can listen to this one. This is a really nice story. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, there, there's some some dark serial killer shit in here that uh, definitely not family friendly. Um, but I guess I'll make that my first one then, since we've already kind of kicked it off a bit with with All Gallows Eve. Um, where did the idea for an executioner being pulled apart come from? Uh, what was the fun of writing this or what was the challenge of writing this? I don't know. Any way you want to take this, what was your process here? So as a fan of history and research and the macabre, uh, something that's fascinated me for a long time is this idea of corpse medicine. So during the, the dark ages until the industrial age about there's been a belief that taking parts from a corpse is a way to banish disease and sickness. And people would use every part of the corpse. You know, we know that uh, if you can sever the hand from a hanged criminal, it becomes a hand of glory. That's a very powerful magical item. But even the stuff that leaked out of a corpse on the gallows or a body suspended in a gibbet was thought to have some medicinal value. People would uh, rip the hair out of executed criminals. They would even take bits of clothing and the hangman's rope. All this stuff that was now deemed connected to the other world, the other side, through the passage of death, took on this magical efficacy in a time when there was no germ theory, there was no real formalized medicine. And so you would have lepers gathering at the base of the gallows, trying to get every bit of corpse they could. But 
being a hangman back then was a strange liminal position in the community because you were special, but you were also an outcast. As the person that delivered death, you were just apart from society. And what kind of person takes that job? Well, an outcast, <clears throat> an outcast takes the job. But ironically, it is the hangman or the executioner who has access to all of the premium body parts that so many people and apothecaries and rich people and sick people and invalids, they, they'll all do anything they can to get pieces of these corpses. So I said it on Halloween when the veil is thin and this hangman's big plan is to have all the bodies rendered and then give the various body parts to rich influential people in the town who have seizures or scrofula or ulcers or whatever it is at the time. And he's going to try to get in good. So this is his night that he's going to go from a low status person to a high status person. So it's all proceeding perfectly well until he realizes that the last man he's about to hang is an old friend of his. And the friend makes him promise, let my family have my body at the very least so they can give me a good Christian burial. And so the hangman is a coward and he makes that promise. I promise your family's going to get your body. But in the end, he just lumps it in with the rest, has it chopped up so it can be traded away for riches and favors. And that decision comes back to Holland. In the most gnarly way. Um, yeah, not spoiling the ending there, but it it's one of the not safe for work for kids ones. Um, <laughs> yeah, kids at work, don't read this. I appreciate so much your handle on the history of these things and how it works into the stories because at you don't stop the story at any point to info dump everything that you just explained to us and yet your understanding of it bleeds through in every single sentence um it it is all very conscious of what's going on here and even i did not know that about the wheeling and the dealing of the body parts um i used to be a social studies teacher in high school and like the closest we really like hit on that stuff was French Revolution heads getting chopped off and the kids playing soccer with them. Um, that that was as much as we went. So, But even without any context for it, I could grasp what was going on and it felt very genuine. And it felt like something that I wanted to go read more and know more about. You, you knock this thing out and I think three or 4,000 words probably if I had to guess um but there there's this clear expansion that could be and should be uh uh taken into account when you're reading the story i don't know it it's very cool it's very well done there are a lot of stories in here that have that same energy about them of oh this is this is clearly a short story clipped out of something much bigger than this one story uh, yes, thank you. Do yourself a favor. Read up on corpse medicine. It's wild. <laughs> I shall. Um, 
Okay, how do we want to do this? Do we want to jump into the next one that stood out to me, or do you want to pitch one, or do, do we want to go back and forth, or do we just want to power through? Uh, let's go back and forth. Okay. Uh, what is one story from this collection that you would like to kind of talk up and pitch and use to highlight? So you were talking about uh, kid-friendly stories. Inky's Day Out might be a perfect story for your kid. It's about an octopus that leaves the aquarium tank on Halloween. <laughs> and it's it's just a cute, fun, kid-friendly story about what does an octopus think when he goes out and everyone is suddenly different. You know, he sees all these snot-nosed little kids banging on the glass and, you know, pushing them their faces up against his tank all year long. And then this one night he goes out and everyone looks different. They've changed their shape and color like an octopus. And uh, so he meets a friend. He has a little experience, but it's about this octopus that goes trick-or-treating. Um, there's no bodies. Nobody gets killed or hurt. Uh, it's very, very G-rated. Um, but I had a lot of fun writing that one. Nice. I Inky doesn't harvest people for their organs. No, uh, sadly, um, octop octopuses don't live very long. Um, they only live one to three years, so they never grow old enough to be uh, wizened and <laughs> cynical. <laughs> but what one of the great mysteries of uh, marine biology is why intelligence evolved in a creature with such a short lifespan. Because they have to learn everything themselves, and by the time they learn anything, they're they die of old age. It's uh, it's fascinating, huh? That don't get me going on octopuses because yeah, I, no. I'll just I'll just ramble like a nerd all night. I, I just started thinking through it myself, and I, I don't need to do that right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll be Halloween, you. Halloween, moving on. Okay, so next one that I had, um, and this is more just kind of a discussion launcher. Trunk or treat? Mm. You have a short story in here where a mom is taking her kid out trunk or treating. And there the the mom enjoys the prospect of trunk or treating more than trick-or-treating because it is this safe place uh with a very like isolated portion of the community and the kid can take off and just kind of go get into whatever mischief they want to get into. There's not too much they can get into trouble with here. Um, turns out that that is wrong. There is. Things can go very badly, especially when clowns are involved. Um, but it, it got me kind of wondering what your uh, what is your philosophy on trunk or treating? Well, I'll say that this is probably one of the meanest stories I've ever written. <laughs> uh, it's absolutely heartless. And so you might assume that I think trunk or treating is the worst thing that could possibly happen. And we definitely, you know, talked about the, the danger and excitement of kids on Halloween walking the streets at night, going up to strange houses and knocking on the door for candy. It's a very strange situation. And uh, in an interview recently, 
uh, I was talking to someone and we realized like if trick-or-treating didn't exist and we tried to invent it in 2023, people would be like, fuck no. We're not letting our kids wander around with masks on at night in strange neighborhoods and then encourage them to go up to strangers' houses in the hopes that they can get candy. Like that is berserk. That is nonsense. But it's tradition, so we accept it. Trunk or treating is a community-organized recreation. It's usually church-friendly. It's a little more wholesome. It can take place during the day. It can take place in a parking lot, in a, in a safe, secured environment. But at its core, having people in masks decorate their car trunks to lure children in with candy, probably not the best idea. You probably don't want to teach your children to go find strangers with candy and go towards their car. Um, that said, uh, I, I have nothing against trunk or treating. There's a church uh, down the street from us. Last year I saw they were doing it and there's a lot of creativity on display and it was their way of having trunk or treat. I, or trick or treating, rather. Um, and it seemed like everyone was having fun, and uh, I'm into it. You know, whatever people want to do to have fun. Um, I would add that I think it might be a nice addition mm -hmm. to trick or treating, but nothing can really replace the epic adventure of trick or treating at night. Right. I feel the same. Uh, around here the high school does it on a night that's not halloween night like two or three nights before as a fundraiser like you get a five dollar ticket and your kid goes and runs around and all the high schoolers have their cars all jazzed up and it's it's a good creative outlet for the high schoolers it gives the kids a chance to like practice trick-or-treating without the without the intensity of walking up to somebody's house um or crossing traffic right right so it's a it's a good trial run i guess <laughs> in our in our neck of the woods but yeah then you then you take it to a very dark place um which is great like i said one, one of the meanest stories i've ever written i think okay back to you what which one have you got next there's a fun one called halloween on mars that i wrote as sort of a uh science entertainment uh informational article and the the starting point is people already live on Mars, we're a multi-planet species, what will Halloween look like in the future? And this one was really research heavy because the Martian calendar is very different from the Earth calendar. Uh, Mars has this really long orbit and it has two small fast spinning moons. So it's like, are they on a lunar calendar? Are they on a solar cycle? What, what's going on here? And um, the seasons are very different on Mars. Uh, there's, a, there's a month called Simha in the Darien calendar, which is the Martian calendar. Uh, this is all real, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, so Mars can have like 24 different months. And there's this one month that is uh really windy and tumultuous and it kicks up these giant dust devils that are like 50 times bigger than we get on earth 
And there are these storms that like black out Mars for months to years. So I chose that as the time that Halloween will be celebrated on Mars in the future, because for them, it will be the scariest time of year. But if you look at all these traditions on Earth about when we worship our ancestors, when we think about the dead returning, when we think about harvest festivals, things like that, a lot of it is tied to the end of summer, the beginning of winter, or it is uh, associated with the lunar calendar in the case of a lot of Asian holidays. And so I just kind of threaded that through in an informational article for people to learn about the Halloween on Mars. And then there's all these fun little things like there's these genetically engineered pumpkins. Um, There's little nursery rhymes and ghost stories that are specific to Mars that makes sense when you grow up in a sealed habitat, uh, things like that. Just a lot of research into that one. And it's fun to kind of present. You're very good at the research angle. I think part of me would have realized that there were different calendars that needed to be associated with Mars than Earth because it's a different planet and it spins at a different rate, blah, blah, blah. blah. But I, I, I wouldn't have thought to go out and do all the research to figure out what those calendars were or anything uh again like the uh like the corpse uh harvesters i'm continually being impressed right now (laughs) i was impressed with the stories now hearing the explanations it's just deepening my love last one i want to end on um you had a story very early in the collection um called one star haunted house that I thought played around really well with um, the concept of on Halloween night, you're never a hundred percent sure what's real or not. Everybody's dressed up as these scary characters. Everybody's dressed up as mass murderers with, you know, or mass murderer victims with blood all over them. And if somebody was genuinely in trouble or if anybody was genuinely doing bad things on Halloween night and like killing people or whatever, there would be a hot second where you mistook it for just part of the show. Um, And I think one star haunted house plays with that very simple concept very well. It is written as a Yelp review of a haunted house. Uh, for some people that walk into a haunted house that may or may not have actually been a haunted house set up on display for them to have been walking through. It's very tongue-in-cheek. The the audacity of the Karen uh, just seeps through every single paragraph and every single description. Um, you had some of the more tense moments than I can remember in short stories built into this one. Um, that wasn't a real sentence, but I think stories <laughs> have a very hard time building suspense and then executing them within such a quick, tight word count. And in this story, you did a really good job of building up not just one, but two moments of really good i don't know what's about to happen here i'm genuinely a little scared for this character i know she makes it out of it because she's writing this review right now but still it was an edgier seat sort of a sort of a read and i thought it was just very cool and impressive that you were able to pull off 
that sort of an energy with that sort of a Yelp review approach. Thanks. Uh, I, I love this one. Um, you know, part of the challenge of writing 31 stories, uh, and there might actually be more than 31 in the collection. Uh, see for yourself, dear reader. Um, is that I was also experimenting with form and I thought, okay, Yelp review, what would a Yelp review of a haunted house be? And the tension there is that the reader starts to figure out pretty early on that something terribly wrong has happened in this house. And the main character writing the review had no idea they were walking through a murder scene, uh, sort of stumbling through it blithely, worrying about the stains on her shoes and the dry cleaning bill and stuff like that. And you're like, Oh no, get out, get out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. That one came together in a, in a really fun way. And it's also fun because, because the, I don't remember what her name was. In my mind, she's just the Karen. Um, but the the Karen's personality made it very funny because there's obviously this very big danger lurking right around some corner or another. And she is so concerned about everything except that. And it just made this really great comedic scenario. Um, do you want to give us one more story to go out on here? Two that I'll draw attention to real quick. One is called Pumpkinhead. It's a romance. And um, that was really fun to work some romance into the collection. I'm really proud of that story. There's a lot going on in the background. But I, I think that story has some really cool visuals and some really cool relationship stuff, a nice emotional core to it. And... It ends with a story called How to Preserve Your Pumpkin. And it's set the day after Halloween. And it's about those post-Halloween blues, you know. I I wrote this whole collection, this love letter to Halloween. And when it's over, it's over. And it's wintertime. And it's back to school and you're in November. And Thanksgiving cannot hold a candle to the the magic that you just experienced. And Christmas is a long, long way off. Halloween doesn't come around for another year. And so I wrote that story as a sort of, it gets better letter to Halloween heads. And the idea there is that this kid's jack-o'-lantern starts talking to him. And he's so upset, he doesn't want Halloween to be over. And he's trying everything he can to preserve his jack-o'-lantern, to keep the magic alive. And it just doesn't work because that's not Halloween. Halloween is not year-round. It ends. It's a harvest festival, and it's also a time for things to rot, you know? You've got to get what you can out of the fields. You've got to store it for the winter. And then everything else dies. And that's part of Halloween too. But in the end, he finds a seed of a pumpkin. And ever since I wrote that story, you know, that seed is sort of a promise that Halloween will come back. It will grow again. Like you've got to let it die. You've got to let go of things. 
but next year it will be back. And ever since I wrote that story, when I carve my pumpkins now, I keep one seed and I put it back in the pumpkin. It's sort of a spontaneous tradition. I just started with myself as like a little promise to remember that Halloween is cyclical. It will be Halloween again. Nice. I love that. Um, There have been so many times tonight that you have phrased things so poetically. Um, I'm just cribbing from my book. It's uh, (laughs) none of it's off the cuff. Um, Yeah. I, I don't know. You're right. It, it hurts when it's over. And I know we're kind of bringing this full circle to where we started. I know that we're spooky people and like, we'll watch horror movies year round and like, but the spirit never completely leaves us, but it it's different when it's not October. Um, so yeah, I like that pumpkin seed uh, idea. I just, we, we went to the, we went to the pumpkin patch this past weekend and got our pumpkins. I'm going to do that when we carve it tomorrow night. Nice. I, I encourage you to take the seeds out and roast them, and but leave one seed aside for each pumpkin and, and put it back. One last question before we wrap it up then. What, what do you, what do you do to season your pumpkin seeds? Are you a, you a salt on them person or are you a. I like salt. Be- I like nutmeg, cinnamon, cumin, um, chili powder. Uh, you can't really go wrong because there's a lot of flavor in the seed itself and, and, and the roasting and the olive oil does all the heavy lifting. Oh, I lied. One more question for you before we wrap up. What's your right. Halloween candy? It's got to be <laughs> got to be candy corn, the hackle lantern of candies. Cheers. Um I I'm I'm too big of a chocolate person. I can't follow you, but I can respect it. <laughs> I mean, look. If I had my druthers, my bag would be full of dark chocolate mini Reese's cups. I mean, that those are just incredible flavor bombs. <laughs> but underlying all that is the candy corn, because I'll eat dark chocolate and or dark chocolate Reese's cups year round. I won't eat candy corn outside of season. Candy corn is a self-limiting activity. You can really only eat so much before it, it really <laughs> takes a toll on you and you, you need to let it lie fallow until next year's harvest. We'll, we'll put one piece of candy corn next to the pumpkin seed. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was so much fun. I learned so much talking to you tonight and appreciated everything so much. Um, one more time for our listeners, would you like to reintroduce yourself, kind of say where listeners can connect with you on social media, where they can find the book? My pleasure. Um, so the book and the podcast are called We Bleed Orange and Black. So you can get the book at Amazon or Barnes and Noble. It's real cheap. I put it out there just because I want people to get an overview of the kind of stuff I write. Um, podcast is on Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts. You can find me at Twitter and Blue Sky at Carter Wrote It, Instagram at Jeff C. Carter, or Instagram at Jeff C. Carter, and my website, jeffccarter.com. 
Uh, and if you want to follow up on the podcast socials, it's everywhere at Weebob Podcast and WeebobPodcast.com. So thanks for hanging out with me, William. This this has been a, a long time in the works and uh, really fun. I so rarely get to talk about my book and and I really do appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. The book is fantastic. I can't oversell it enough. We're we're gonna go read another one for Craig's bedtime story tomorrow night. Um, probably probably the uh oh, what was the the octopus one's name again? Inky Inky's Day Out. Inky's Day Out. All right, we're reading Inky's Day Out tomorrow, and I'll get back to you. But nice. um, for listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this closes us out for the week, but please, before you go, don't forget to like, subscribe, or throw up the devil horns and hack a lantern on your streaming service of choice. And so, the power's in the blood. The power's in the blood. I can't do it at all. <laughs> Stay spooky, everybody. Stay spooktacular. <laughs>